Good evening and welcome to the Champaign City Council study session for Tuesday, February 25th, 2020. I believe we have some fire oaths. Hello, ma'am. How are you? How are you doing? Welcome home. Thank you. Just for a short while. <laughs> Good evening, uh, Mayor and members of the council. I have the distinct honor this evening of introducing you to one of our new firefighters and also three of our firefighters who have been recently promoted. So I would ask for, first, let's hold our applause um, until we get done with all four. So I would ask for uh, Firefighter Rear to please come forward. So, uh, probationary firefighter James Rear was hired five months ago and completed his academy class and other required programs. He has a bachelor's degree in agribusiness from the University of Illinois in Champaign. Jim grew up in Champaign and attended St. Matthew's grade school and junior high school and then attended high school at St. Thomas More. He is married to Janelle, who is also an ICU nurse at Carl. I, James Rear have been appointed to the position of probationary firefighter in the city of Champaign in the county of Champaign. Do hereby swear that I will perform the duties of firefighter to the best of my abilities and that I will uphold the constitution of the state of Illinois and the constitution of the United States of America to the best of my abilities. Thank you. We will in just a second. Okay, our, our next firefighter is Philip Upoff. He's been promoted to the rank of engineer. Phil has been with the Champaign Fire Department for six years. You can come forward, Phil. All total, he has 10 years of fire service experience, spending his first four years in Lincoln, Illinois. He has a bachelor's in business administration from Illinois Westland University. He's also a licensed paramedic. And Phil is recently a proud homeowner uh, in the city of Champaign and owns a home here. I, Philip Uphoff, having been appointed to the position of fire engineer in the city of Champaign, in the county of Champaign, do hereby swear that I will perform the duties of fire engineer to the best of my abilities and that I will uphold the Constitution of the State of Illinois and the Constitution of the United States of America to the best of my abilities. Thank you. Our next promotee is Christopher Zarimba, who is promoted to the rank of captain. Chris has been with the Champaign Fire Department for 20 years. He has a bachelor's degree from Illinois Westland University in political science and an associate's degree from the Illinois Central College in fire science. He's also a certified fire officer one and two and hazmat technician. And Chris also serves as the president of IFF Local 1260. He's married to Kelly, and they have a daughter named Alexis and a son named Gavin. I, Christopher Zaremba, I, Christopher Zaremba, having been appointed to the position of fire captain in the city of Champaign, in the county of Champaign, do hereby swear that I will perform the duties of fire captain to the best of my abilities and that I will uphold the Constitution of the United States of Illinois, of the state of Illinois, and the Constitution of the United States of America to the best of my abilities. 
And last but not least is Tyler Funk, who was promoted to the rank of Deputy Fire Chief. Tyler has a total of 22 and a half years of service with the City of Champaign and a total of 27 years of fire service, including four years at Fort Bragg as a firefighter and also at the Ch Charleston Fire Department. He has an associate's degree in biological science from Lakeland College. And he currently lives in the city of Champaign. He has been mar he's married to his wife, Tina, for 36 years, and they have two sons, Tyler and Taryn, and two grandchildren, Quinn and Kelly. His hobbies include bird watching, hiking, and photography. Thank you. Hang on one second. Let me get ready for this. Uh, Tyler Funk, having been appointed to the position of Deputy Chief in the City of Champaign and the County of Champaign, do hereby swear that I will perform the duties of Fire Battalion Chief <laughs> to the best of my abilities and that I will uphold the Constitution of the State of Illinois and the Constitution of the United States of America to the best of my abilities. Thank you. Please join, I'm sorry, please join me in giving them a round of applause. Thank you, Mayor and members of the Council. All right. Deputy City Manager Walls. Uh, yes, Mayor and Council, this evening we have one item on our agenda, and that's to provide Council with an update on the Year 3 Implementation CU Fresh Start Focus Deterrence Initiative to address gun violence in our community. We'll also provide you with an overview of an action plan for the future. As you recall, in 2016, the city applied for a three-year grant with the Illinois Criminal Justice Information Authority to assist us in planning and implementing a focused deterrence model. The grant enabled the city to carry out strategic planning activities, including an analysis of the crime problem, research on focused deterrence best practices, and to identify systems and processes that must be in place for effective implementation. And so this evening, staff will discuss lessons learned. Um, they'll talk about um, actions for moving forward and what that implementation, um, proposed recommended implementation plan will look like. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Tracy Parsons, our community relations manager. All right, thank you, Joan. <clears throat> I wanna apologize in advance. I've got a little bit of the cold stuff that's uh, going around our community. So I wanna apologize in advance for my voice and hopefully no coughing. Joining me on the panel tonight is Mayor Catherine Roberson and our office, as well as our wonderful police chief, uh, Anthony Cobb. Um, in the audience with us tonight are a number of uh, members of our uh, planning team that we call our MDT, uh, and a number of our community partners uh, as well. So we're pleased to share with you 
the work that we've been undertaking um, over the last three years. Um, as you all are well aware, our community violence issue is um, something plaguing not only our community, but communities across the state and communities across the nation. And so uh, what I like to talk about is our proactive approach that we've taken to addressing this issue. So our first slide is you just look and you see these, these uh, headlines playing out in our local news far too often over the last couple of years. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, unfortunate deaths to gun violence, um, and it's just uh, incidents of shooting related activity that's really taken place far too often in our community. Uh, I often talk about the fact that we will never normalize this as just the way it is in our community. And so we've aggressively been approaching and addressing this topic and issue um, because we are committed to ending it. So Joan just shared with you the foundation of our focus deterrence work that we've been undertaking over the last three years. Focus deterrent really is, uh, I think, a wonderful way of looking at how we, uh, as Chief Cobb would say to me, spearfish versus uh, web fishing as it relates to working with individuals that uh, may be involved in gun violence, has a history of it as a victim or as an offender. But the other part of the focus deterrent work that I really am pleased with is the partnership and collaboration. And so this is the place where law enforcement is at the table with community, with community resources, organizations, agencies, those individuals that have uh, a history of being involved with gun violence, those that have been impacted directly, and then most importantly, those neighborhoods and individuals that are directly involved. Far too often we try to solve these issues in our silos, um, and I don't think you can really address this issue effectively and solve it without everyone coming to the table. So we've done that really well. Our last three years, I think we've done a wonderful job of building an infrastructure that enables us going forward to address this issue so that, um, again, our ultimate goal is to uh, end, this, end this work. So the um, really important part of this work that I think is important to us is the humanizing of this, this activity. I like to give the analogy uh, often when I'm speaking about this is that if we have a natural disaster, a tornado, a fire, um, a hurricane, maybe not in our community a hurricane, but really a natural disaster, um, we're organized on how to impact this and how to address this work. So we know the agencies that um, provide shelter, that provide resources, that provide comfort. When we started doing this community violence work, we realized there was no infrastructure for community violence. And so as we started talking with community members, as we started talking amongst ourselves, we weren't really organized to effectively provide the trauma supports, the interventions, the necessary resources and supports once these incidents have taken place. So over the past three years, we've done a great job of building what I think is a foundation that will enable us to move forward as a community. We have three really important components to our work that we call pillars, and that's community, law enforcement, and then again, those resources to help individuals uh, making choices. And so Mary Catherine's going to talk to you a little bit more about that. Thank you, Tracy. 
The three pillars of the CU Fresh Start initiative are community voices, social services, and law enforcement. In order for successful implementation of the initiative, these pillars must be balanced with equal engagement of all three. There's been targeted work in year three to ensure this balance is established and maintained. The community pillar provides positive community support for participants who choose to turn away from gun violence. This group includes friends of participants, clergy and funeral directors, neighborhood leaders and residents, members of the formerly incarcerated community, and victim impact representatives, some of whom have lost their own children to community violence. Through the community pillar, we're able to provide direct outreach to the most impacted neighborhoods. One of the ways we do that is through our Community Violence Response Task Force which visits these identified neighborhoods and hosts neighborhood safety forums to get a better understanding of what our community needs to feel secure. This is also a space to empower the residents to voice their own ideas for solutions regarding community violence. Recurring safety concerns have included exposure to gun-related violence, the need for more positive community engagement activities, as well as better advertising of those activities that already exist, and also ways to provide more lighting in dark neighborhoods. And while addressing the needs of the community is one part of Fresh Start, and addre addressing the needs of the participants is another vital part. Through the social services pillar, coordinated by Rosecrans, we're able to identify uh, participants' immediate needs and connect them with resources in the community so those needs can be met. Through surveys administered in year two, participants indicated a need for peer-to-peer -peer support and, and mentoring in the areas of conflict resolution and behavior change. So through our part partnership with First Followers, we've been able to strengthen these services that we provide. The most common needs participants express are related to jobs, job training, and housing. In addition to the supports provided by the community and social services pillars, the law enforcement pillar provides valuable intelligence, referrals, and offers and offers participants an alternative to a life of involvement in gun-related activity. Chief Cobb will explain this pillar in more detail. Thank you. From the law enforcement pillar, um, law enforcement identifies individuals who meet the criteria and who we want to call into our initiative. Uh, the individuals that we identify are the individuals that we use um, local intelligence and lose data to identify individuals involved in gun violence within our community. These individuals um, are basically identified and called into a call-in. And the way it works is, is that law enforcement identifies these individuals. Once they find out um, who they are, they put together a dossier. And that dossier is presented to a blind community panel. And when I say blind, the panel does not know the identity of the individuals. They just know the criteria. And when we present that criteria to that panel, um, they determine who should be called into the initiative. Uh, once they go through it and they pick and say we want candidate two, three, four, not six, not seven, but we'll take eight, nine, ten. We'll take those individuals and we'll put the names back with them and we'll work with probation and parole and we'll order these individuals to come into the call-in. Once these individuals are given the formal call-in, then they have opportunity to make a choice if they want to be part of the initiative and they can engage or choose to go on with their life and not take part in the initiative. Um, if a person does come into the initiative, then we take the opportunity to work with our community partners as well as our social partners and continue to follow with the individual by having monthly um, discussions about individuals, making sure they're moving forward, uh, doing the positive things we need them to do or would like for them to do to avoid being involved with gun violence. Next, we're going to get into and start looking at some of the data around what are the things that are happening in our community. 
The slide that's before you right now is giving you a five-year snapshot of gun violence within our community. It's broken down by co uh, color-coded by quarters, so you can see what's happening, when it's happening. And if you look at the line over the top of it, which is the trend showing the total of all those quarters added together, you will see that uh, in 2015, when we started keeping this data, I think we started in 2013 with our first years, um, we were ticking up. And in 2015, we hit our peak. Uh, and then we started ticking down in 2016 and 17. In 2015, we're at 127 incidents. Um, we got all the way down to 82 incidents in 2017. And then we started ticking back up again. In 2019, um, we actually hit our all-time high at 138 incidents across the Champaign-Urbana area. Next, we're going to get into the participants as far as the individuals who were identified and who brought into the call-in. And to date, from the inception, we had 97 individuals who were identified as meeting the criteria who can be selected to come into the call-in. When these individuals were presented to uh, the committee, 86 were identified as members that we should move forward with and given the opportunity to come into the call-in. Out of those 86 that were ordered to come to a call-in, uh, 60 of them refused services and said, hey, I don't want to be part of this. Uh, I can move forward and do what I need to do to try to keep myself on the uh, straight and narrow and avoid being involved with gun violence. And that's what they did. And 26 others said, no, we want to take the initiative. We want to take this opportunity, and we truly do want a fresh start. When you look at the number as far as the numbers that engage, the 26 out of the total 86, that's roughly about 30% of the population uh, that comes in. And when you look at a focused deterrent model, the national uh, model is about 30% as well. Calling participants who are actually engaged in services. When we break down the 26 that truly engaged in services, uh, seven of them engaged in services, and they remain on parole or probation. Uh, we have five who are no longer engaged in the criminal justice system and no longer uh, on parole or probation. We have seven who are no longer engaged in an initiative, but they're still on parole, remain on parole or probation. And then there are seven who made choices to put themselves back in jail, and they're incarcerated right now. When we go back and look at the 60 who declined services, we have 16 that are not in the criminal justice system. They did what they're supposed to do. They got off their parole and probation, and they're living their life. We have 20 who are still on parole or probation, so they're working through um, their issues still or still on straight and narrow, but like I said, they're still trying to work through their sentence. And then we have 21 who are uh, reincarcerated for making a poor choice and getting sent back to jail. There's one who's a fugitive from justice. Basically, he's wanted. Uh, he still haven't been arrested yet, but he's out there. Law enforcement actually looking for him. And then there are two that are deceased. At this point in time, I'm going to turn it back over to Tracy. He's going to talk about two new initiatives we started in year three for our customer notification and referral of participants into uh, the initiative. Uh, thanks, Chief. So one of the things we noticed and looked at is that annually we've had one to three call-ins a year. And uh, there remained activity, as Chief shared with you, about our shooting incidents has continued to happen and take place. And so we began to look at different models and different ways of engagement. So we added in year three what we call custom notification, which enables us to do a one-on-one -on -one, uh, meeting with an individual who uh, is on law enforcement radar or someone we might be concerned about engagement in uh, the negative activity that's taken place. So in, two, uh, in 2019 or in year three, we uh, conducted two custom notifications. Uh, had 100% participation. And so we've learned a lot from that, and I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, going forward. 
The other part is referral. So since the beginning, any time that we'd have a call in or there'd be some media around, see you fresh start, I'd get calls from someone that says, I've got a family member. I've got a grandson. I've got someone that I know that would be great for your initiative. But we didn't have a way for them to be part of uh, Fresh Start. And so what we've done is add what we call referral. So we've had our first candidate referred to us that we now have brought in bo- on board and is working out quite well working with uh, their, our Rosecrans uh, liaison. So we've laid a foundation of kind of what we have done over the past few years. Uh, we have four really key areas moving forward that we believe are important to continue this work and continue to deepen the work that we are uh, engaging in. And so we talk about that in terms of our action plan for moving forward. So one is the leadership structure. So as I shared with you, we have our uh, multidisciplinary team, we call it our MDT, comprised of over 20 members of our community from law enforcement to uh, court services to community members to formerly incarcerated individuals to uh, resource entities in the community, all coming together to work on it, to, to, to pull this work together. Now, these are probably some of the more spirited meetings that I participate in our community because this is very difficult, complex work. And I have 20 different multi-MDT members with 20 different opinions about how and what we're sh- we should do. What we've done, though, is, is effectively been able to uh, massage our perspectives, our opinions, and our ego and our pride and our territories to come together to find a system that works well. And I can share with you, it is not easy. I talk often, not only in our community, but across the state, other communities that want to know, how do you get law enforcement and community members to the table? How do you get folks to put down those long-term issues around trust and historical trust or lack of trust that agencies, individuals, and organizations have with one another? So we've done a good job with that. Uh, in our MDT, and everyone has committed to staying on board moving forward, which is the first key uh, for us. Uh, And we have an active committee structure, uh, again, to break down the work so that the MDT isn't taking on everything. We have the subcommittees that are looking at participant review, our custom notification group, our resource development. So we talked a little bit about the importance of providing resources If you're going to get someone to make change and do something differently, you've got to have the supports and services accessible to them, or it's not going to work. And so, uh, and then our community component of our our work as well. So the participant engagement, um, the first thing is our call-in, which was primarily our uh, only way to get involved in CU Fresh Start. It's been controversial from the beginning. It's a very public event where we're bringing in groups of individuals to let them know that um, we mean business about uh, stopping the gun violence. Uh, Again, that approach has been controversial from the beginning. Uh, As Chief shared with you, we're getting about 30% engagement. So it's given us a chance to look at, we've heard from the participants, that they don't see it as a welcoming, inviting way of becoming involved. It's not a trusting way. And it's a very, very difficult uh, visual. Uh, So far, all of our participants have been black males. And so 
It is uh, a very difficult visual and event to participate. And so we want to explore changes to that call-in format and how we do that. The ultimate goal is how do we engage and how do we strengthen engagement. Uh, improving and continue to do custom notification. It so far is uh, proving to be a very effective uh, way of connecting and meeting and talking with potential Fresh Start participants. So we want to expand that and do that better, as well as we want to make sure that the referral option is something that we continue to explore and let people know that Fresh Start is a viable option for supports and services if you want to do things differently in your life. The third area uh, is continuing our partnerships. I shared uh, with you uh, just continuing our work with Rosecrans, work, working directly with our CU Fresh Start participants. I am really pleased with uh, our partnership uh, with First Followers. Now, while it's only been a few months and we only have a few participants involved, I believe this is the premier organization in our community to work with the formerly incarcerated population. It is their mission to work with this population, and I believe it strengthens our work and for our community to help build the capacity of first followers to work with this population. There's a couple of other community initiatives, Parkland's uh, SWIFT program. Uh, we were effective this year getting a couple of our participants engaged in that process. Again, I've talked about the importance of work, career, job opportunities. How do we expand that for this population of guys? Uh, our partnership with the Reentry Council. So my first couple of years, we really struggled with our partnership and our role there. Mary Catherine is a, a member of the Reentry Council now as that group and that entity where all of the organizations uh, working with our reentry population are at the table. So it's important that we're there and that we strengthen the work of the Reentry Council. And then finally, how do we uh, increase job opportunities in our community for those um, who are viable workforce? And so we don't have enough employers who hire formerly incarcerated. We've got to expand the opportunity, work with those employers that will hire, uh, so that, again, we expand job opportunities and serve, uh, supports for this population of folks. And then, finally, our, our community engagement part really just is so critical to our work. Um, we have our community committee that I think, finally, we have fair representation from the community itself. Uh, I think the first couple of years we were really law enforcement heavy. We did that really well. Uh, but now we have uh, gained some trust, I think, of the community that they want to partner and work with us, work with our population of guys, help address this issue community-wide. We can't solve, Fresh Start is just one part of this work, so we can't expect this to solve all the challenges and issues that we have as it relates to addressing gun violence and working with the formerly incarcerated community. This community meeting takes place, we have a regular meeting day, it's in the evening so that those folks that work during the day can be and participate in those meetings where we're talking about strategy, talking about approach, talking about community partnerships in a common community space. We have a community violence response task force that's coming into neighborhoods once we've had shooting incidents taking place to talk with residents, to inform, to get feedback. And so that response task force is uh, 
starting to be really responsive as we work out the bugs on how to do this more effectively, uh, receive community feedback, let community residents know we're going to be in their areas to receive feedback and information and share data with them once we've had shooting incidents taking place. So our goal is to change these headlines. I like these better here, our community meetings to focus on gun violence, coalition fighting guns, fresh start to STEM. These are the positive headlines that we want to have, that we're working together, that we're collaborating, that we're pulling together to address this gun violence because, again, we're never going to normalize this and never going to say that it's just okay for it to continue to happen. So we talk often, and we share with you what we do, but we want to share you a brief clip here of some of the work that we're doing through Karen Sims and our trauma, CU Trauma and Resiliency Initiative. So when we go in and work with a family that's been involved in one of these tragic incidents, you get a feel for what we're doing and the impact that we're starting to have. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how, unfortunately, we came to meet each other? Well, I was involved in a shooting a couple of years ago and um, almost, you know, could have had my family, you know, being one of the victims that who couldn't be here today. But at the moment after that, I end up shifting to a hotel because of the kids and the trauma they were going through and... I end up meeting Karen through the police station, and she came in like a warrior. I want to tell you that, and because um, I didn't really have too many people have my back, and she was one of the people that really drug her team into the dirt to get me and my kids back on our feet. And I appreciate you for that. I don't even want to cry because I'm in a good place right now because mostly of her, and um, I gave her a hard time. <laughs> And she knew it was, you know, the battle that I was just in and that impacted me and my family. It wasn't a hard feeling towards her. And she steady stood on her ground on her feet and said, what can I do for you? And I told her, give me a better environment because I'm not this type of environment. I didn't, you know, I was just living there. And that's what she did. Moving me, workers, I mean... People just coming from everywhere, like, picking up boxes, kids playing in the yard, being kids again, like, in matters of seconds. I mean, you know, it took weeks and months, but it was just, constant. she was constantly moving, like, keeping me occupied, keeping my kids occupied, therapy, you know, people from the community to help out with the kids, like, with camp or jobs or you know, summer uh, passes to swim and, you know, just be children again. And that helped a lot, YMCA or, you know, and that really, really helped me and my family a whole lot, a whole lot. So when you talk about that's what's up, right? And so when you talk about the ability to help and support a family, a neighborhood that's gone through these traumatic events, that's how we begin to make a difference and build those supports necessary for our community to, again, uh, address and eliminate our gun violence issue. So that's our presentation for tonight. Uh, thank you, and then we'll take any technical questions you have. Thank you. Are there any technical? Council Member Gladney. Thank you. Um, so 86, uh, there were 86 participants with the call-in, and of those 86, 60 declined 
um, the services. I know you, you kind of alluded, you mentioned a little bit of this earlier, but can you explain in any more detail, like, what, what's the feedback on why those 60 declined? I think through some of the surveys that we've done, we've seen some guys are turned off by the call-in, don't want to be part of it, don't want, they think it's more of a parade, bringing them in, you're parading them in, and then we're having a stern conversation, so there's some pushback there. Uh, Sometimes people don't want to engage for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Recognize law enforcement there. We're pretty much giving them a stern message. Either you put down the guns and do something differently, or recognize we're going to use every legal means available to us to hold you accountable. And that's a tough pill for some to swallow, and some choose not to engage for that reason. Um, When we start exploring with custom uh, notification, we're starting to find where it's a softer approach. It's not done in an environment where we're fronting a person out, so to say. It's done at a negotiated time, a negotiated way, and it's done in a softer approach where a person can make some decisions and not really been put in front of or on a pedestal on the stage in front of others. Uh, so those are some of the things around it. I don't know if the team want to add on to that from VRAP or other comments. Yeah, I, th- I think the things that we've, the re- information we received back, I think as Chief shared, is spot on. You know, um, the public setting around the call-in um, is a turnoff. And we've told, been told that a number of times in a number of different ways. And so I think the ultimate goal for us is engagement. So that's the reason we want to look at the tools and the vehicles that we are using for engagement and continue trying to learn. You know, there's some individuals just aren't ready and don't want to be part of something like this. And so, um, but yeah, I think that's the core of it. All right, thank you. And I have just one more question. So the the referral, um, this may be a stupid question, but is the referral able to be done anonymously? Like, so the person doesn't know who's referred them, so... So, yes. Okay. And um, that process is not public, so they go directly to our community liaison through Rosecrans as the referral. Uh, but then that person is brought, brought before our participant review committee. The person doing the referring? No, the, the, the person's name. The person's name, okay. Yeah. So we would contact that person and say, hey, you, you've been referred to us. Is this something that you have an interest in? And then they would bring that na- name to us as a committee, as a subgroup, to vet the name, for lack of a better word, to vet that person to make sure they're not in law enforcement radar, they don't have any pending cases for gun-related activity, those types of things. And once that's cleared, then we're going to do everything we can to engage with them. All right. Thank you. Councilmember Bruno. Thanks. A couple of questions following up on Councilmember Gladney's inquiries about the intake process. Uh, First, uh, you said that the call-in thing may have been perceived as uh, uncomfortable or unpleasant, the public aspect of it. And uh, I'd like you to comment on whether or not you thought that discomfort might have been a good thing, or was it just generally, at the end of the day, that discomfort level was more negative than than advantageous? Did you want to, is there any argument that could be made that the discomfort is there is a good thing? 
I would tell you, discomfort can be a good thing. Growth happens when you're uncomfortable to some degree, but at the same token, you've got to have a person that's willing to accept. And a lot of times when we can get the individual from the call-in and go into the post-call-in, that's genuinely where the work started happening at. That's genuinely when the social service providers are there, and that's genuinely when the report starts to happen. As we're engaging and have the conversations with the individual back there, that's when you can see the light coming on for some of them where they will engage and want to move forward. Others need more time. And there are some guys who come in are pretty hard, and I don't care what we say, they're not going to listen. I'm here because I was told to be here, and now I'm ready to get out of here, and I don't want to ever see you again. Uh, so you get people on different ends of the spectrum, but it's an opportunity where we present factual information to these young men and give them opportunity to make a choice. Uh, granted, they don't have to make the choice right there on the spot, uh, but if they're willing and they know they want to do it, we'll definitely take them in a heartbeat. But then uh, Ms. Hattie, who's our case manager, follows up with them and give them an opportunity. But if they don't engage with us uh, within a period of time, then we move on. So I guess what I hear you saying is that it's more of a negative than, uh, than a therapeutic thing or than a... Uh, and I, w- I would just say, uh, Councilman Bruno, that... As I shared with you, the MDT and the different perspectives that we have as part of that team is, yes, there are those that want that level of uncomfortableness as part of our message uh, around stopping the violence and stopping the activity that's got them identified by us. So we have this wise perspective perspective <laughs> on our MDT as well as it relates to that question there. So maybe, a, maybe this may be a related question. But I think you, uh, Chief Cobb, alluded to um, a little leverage to start the process that of these 80-some people, many of them are on probation or on parole at the, at, at the start of the process. <clears throat> and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that would give you the opportunity to mandate their initial appearance that as a condition of probation standard boilerplate condition of probation is cooperate with the probation department. Um, was that used and was that effective or was that also a turnoff to say, well, your probation officer has ordered you to participate in the call-in? Yes, that was used. That's during how we get them in a the room. They are ordered. They are required to be there. Their probation officers take attendance. Uh, so they're ordered and forced to be there. So sometimes it can be a little bit of a turnoff. But a lot of times the case managers do a wonderful job of when the individual has been told they have to be there, the case manager is there and explain the process to them. Uh, so a lot of times uh, we, we can get the participants in the room uh, so we can have the conversation. Uh, recognize custom notification, part of the reason why we started looking at that because it gives us a little bit more avenue. Everyone who's involved in gun violence is not on parole or probation, and sometimes you don't have that tool. And sometimes you need other tools in order to get a person in the room. And we're finding uh, through the few customs that we've done, uh, that approach has gone a little bit better. And we wondered if we were ch- taking a softer approach with some of the other guys who were ordered, would we have gained more compliance from them opposed to following uh, the book as was outlined when we started putting our model together, folks to turn model following David Kennedy's model. But even with that leverage or that tool for leverage, you found it wasn't uh, helpful to... Um, use that to its maximum potential. You, uh, you would back off if somebody wasn't in it, wasn't into it. You didn't continue to use the coercion of, well, your probation officer is ordering you to participate in this. You, 
we did up until this point in time, but recognize the feedback, the surveys, the work that's been done, uh, hearing from the candidates, um, saying, hey, that, that, that's not a factor. That turned me off. Um, we have to take heed and listen to that and recognize if it's turning them off and we're not reaching them, uh, if the hammer's not working, then we might want to use another tool. And so we're trying to use another tool on our tool belt to see can we get more engagement because the ultimate goal is to get the violence to stop, get these individuals to put the guns down and look at other opportunities. Tom, I wanted to just add, because I think part of our talking about learning about our process. So the first couple of call-ins, we just brought the guys in. They were mandated to be there, and we just brought them in. And, and we learned that we needed to do a better job of preparing them of what the call-in is, what's going to happen, and what's going to take place. So we added a pre-call-in meeting with all the participants where they were informed on what's going to happen in the call-in, what's going to take place, what it's going to be like, the fact that it's public. Um, and that was the in intermediate step before determining that it still isn't the most effective way. Thank you. Any other technical questions? Councilmember Beck. Um, so I was just taking a look at the um, the trend analysis and <clears throat> have a couple questions about it. So we've seen an increase since 2017 when we saw our lowest point in the last few years. Um, so of, 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 of shootings, just to be clear. Um, so I'm wondering what, what you think is contributing to the uptick, but also um, what other elements of evaluation are being used for success of this program besides the number of shootings. Okay, I'll try to take on the first question for you as far as what we're seeing when we look at the data. Um, uptick contribute by a lot of different, or some different factors. Um, we recognize that we've arrested our way out of some of our problems for short term. Uh, we noticed some of the individuals that were causing problems in our community in 13, 14, and 15 uh, weren't in our community for 16 and 17. Um, went in for 18, but as people start to return back to our communities, um, someone picked up where they left off at. Um, that's part of the issue. Sometimes uh, other issues contributing were based on conflict that may happen in the community, whether it be two different groups going at with violence. Um, but we have a number of issues that come on the radar while we're dealing with the violence that we're dealing with. Uh, last year was a challenging year as far as the number of violence that we saw uh, when it comes to gun incidents. Um, the positive note from last year was that homicides were down, so we're happy to see that. But like I said, I have 138 incidents across the Champaign-Urbana area. Um, that was significant and concerning. Um, but we had a record number of seizures of guns last year as well. But it still doesn't eliminate the problem for us. Uh, so that's the first part of the question. As far as the second part? Well, I, I just think success is, you know, something we're debating and discussing thoroughly as it relates to this work and this activity. I talk in terms of the partnerships, the collaboration, the comprehensive approach to addressing this. Fresh Start is only one part of addressing this issue for one part of our community. So how many of these shooting incidents are domestic? How many of them are just interpersonal conflict where two individuals get into a beef with each other and they decide they're going to settle that with a gun? So I don't want us to paint the picture that Fresh Start is here to solve all of our gun violence issues. It's only one part. Yeah. Well, and you just touched upon one of my uh, follow-up questions was actually if, we, if there is a breakdown of what the, what, what the shootings involved, if these were individual disputes, if they were 
burglaries, if they were, what, what is prompting the, the shootings? So I'm wondering if we're looking at that and, and analyzing that and then addressing that with particular programs. Is that something that we're doing? If we can, a lot of times we may not know the answers to what caused uh, the shooting or why it came about. Um, shots fired, and we're tracking every shots fired incident. We haven't made arrests on every incident where it happened, so we don't know. The ones that we know, it's on the information we got, and we may have a theory that we're trying to prove over doing it, and sometimes we're able to prove and, and get the person cooperating and give us a statement, and sometimes take me to jail, I don't want to talk with you, and you don't know the answer, and you only surmise what we think it is. Uh, so if we are able to get the information, yes, we'll dissect it and use it, uh, try to look for trends, um, and address the incident or the issue. Okay. Um, then my, ne my next questions have to do with the subcommittees. Um, so I noted that there were a few different subcommittees related to the um, MDT, M MDT, is that right? MDT. <clears throat> And it's not the MTD, but the MDT, <laughs> not to be confused with the bus system. Yeah. So um, we, uh, we, we see, I think, one, two, three, four different subcommittees. Is that right? Correct. Um, so I'm wondering, is it just the community outreach subcommittee that involves community members that are not present on the MDT? Are the other three only MDT members? Is that correct? Or the, can you explain the makeup of the, all the subcommittees? So all of the committees have law enforcement. Well, all of the uh, committees do have community members participating on them, whether it's the law enforcement and the participant review, whether it's the resource subcommittee, whether it's the uh, community pillar, all of them have law enforcement, community as a representation on all of them. So are those community members also on the MD, MDT, or are they separate from that? The community pillar or community subcommittee is the one that has MDT members and outside of that. Um, the rest of them are made up of MT, uh, I'm going to say MTD. MDT, MDT uh, members. Okay. Um, all right. So, okay, that answers that question. And then I'm wondering, finally, um, if you can talk a little bit about what the um, relationship with Rosecrans has been. If, I mean, what, what like, has that been, uh, like, a, a good relationship? Has that been a relationship that we can continue to enhance? Um, are there other partners that we should also be considering? And can you... Give a little bit of input about yeah, that. Yeah, I think our relationship with Rosecrans, uh, Rosecrans has been fantastic. Uh, that, that part of the work is funded by a grant through the Champaign County Mental Health Board. Uh, they have agreed to continue this funding through uh, June of 21. Um, and so it's like all of the work. We continue to grow together. We continue to figure out how we communicate better, how we continue to work out uh, uh, communication uh, to make sure that we provide them the supports that they need for working with participants, learn what their needs are, what the challenges are, um, and how we support one another in this work. But they're a critical partner, and yes, we're excited about uh, that work going forward. Okay, thank you. Have, is there, are there any other kind of, I want to say, new programs in the last few years that we're also looking at in terms of 
any cities doing anything different that's that's also working that we could maybe incorporate into what we're doing? Are we continually looking for that? Yeah, Mayor Catherine's on board, and that's a lot of what she's doing is looking at models all across the country so we can continue to fine-tune what we're doing here well and where we can improve and strengthen. And so that's the reason we talk about our community partners. We don't want to be duplicating work that's taking place in the community. We want to figure out how we partner, bring those organizations in, and that's the reason I talked about building the capacity for first followers. We don't need to build another organization working with the formerly incarcerated. We've got a great one in the community right now. How do we support that organization better is our focus through CU First Start. Anyone else? Councilmember Bricks? I just want to touch on the budget information. And so because grant funding runs out here at the end of the month, what are plans moving forward in terms of the budget and kind of how, how much is needed for like per year? Because I'm assuming the numbers that we're seeing here are for all three years. So uh, great question. Thank you. Um, so that is part of our task going forward is to continue to identify uh, resources uh, to support this work as we continue to build forward. Uh, we are looking uh, to take to the coalition a, a gap funding. I'll just use that to continue our work with first followers uh, so that those supports don't end uh, when the grant ends this month. Uh, and we're going to continue looking at uh, resources going forward. So our contract with first followers was for $50,000 this first year. Uh, we anticipate that need, level of need uh, on an annual basis for the supportive services for the guys. Thank you, Council, that we've uh, brought Mayor Catherine in on full-time. And so uh, that helps with the staffing and the day-to-day -day work. Um, and so we'll continue expanding and looking. You know, the Mental Health Board contract for Rosecrans is in place for another year. Uh, so, again, we'll continue looking for supports for the rest of the work. I'm anticipating we need to find probably thirty dollars to $40,000 if it looks at some kind of job training program uh, going forward so that we can help build that, how we partner with those organizations that are already doing job training. So um, that's kind of the budgetary needs going forward. Uh, it looks like somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000 going forward. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue, please step forward, state your name and city of residence, and please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Uh, uh, Marcel McNutt, uh, this is the answer. Mr. Gladney and Mr. Bruno's uh, questions, uh, the approach, uh, that the CU Fresh Start took with uh, why so many people didn't engage. Uh, the message was uh, Department of Corrections will always be there. If you do anything wrong, you know, we will give you maximum penalty. A lot of guys didn't take that very well. And uh, Mr. Bruno, you say uh, about comfortable, uh, make them not comfortable. A lot of guys are already uncomfortable as it is. You know, uh, lack of resources, uh, may not have new shoes on going to school, uh, may not be sleeping in a warm bed, may not have a meal at home at nighttime. So they're already uncomfortable when they're walking in 
uh, to the situation that they're going into. Um, and uh, towards uh, Mr. Stock's question, uh, you say, is there any other programs out there? We don't need any other programs. We just need to go back to the basics of what was in Champaign, as far as uh, balling in the hood at Douglas Park, uh, the Gus Macker, downtown Champaign, uh, fun day at Bearsley Park. If you have a relationship with people in the community, you're uh, less likely to hurt them. If you grew up with them or you interacted with them your whole life, you would think twice before you pull a gun on them and take their life. Uh, a lot of guys out here don't understand the severity of a gun. So that's why they're taking lives. They don't understand the severity of it. Once you take a life, there's no coming back off of it. Uh, lack of resources. You know, uh, you got to know where you want to go at in your life. So, I mean, they're calling it success, but you got to know what the problem is. A lot of guys don't have employment. A lot of guys don't have high school diplomas. Uh, a lot of guys don't have parents at home that make you be in by 8 o'clock when the streetlights come on. 14, 15-year-olds out running the streets at uh, 10, 11 o'clock at night. You know, those are all problems. Uh, I was in CU Fresh Start, the first roll call. Um, I took a different approach. I found first followers. Uh, I struggled for three years straight on employment from the first time I got in trouble. But now since I have found uh, first followers, I have picked up a trade and tools that I need in life to send me in the right direction. Uh, I learned how to lay floor, do carpentry, uh, drywall, <coughs> uh, all type of uh, different things that I needed. Uh, to pull me away from uh, things that are going on in Champaign. It's not necessarily that a lot of guys out here just want to shoot. I mean, uh, a lot of people are lost. They're lost. So when you get uh, foundations and different uh, programs that they can understand, that's the way to uh, pull them out of it. We got to identify the problem. Uh, towards what Chief Cobb said, you know, you had two sides going at it, but you had to, you got to understand why they're going at it. it. They didn't just wake up one morning and just say, uh, we're going to start killing each other. It was something that caused that. So once you identify the, the, the problem, that's how you could put a stop to it. You know, you got to ask yourself now, uh, why is it still going on? You know, it went from 2014, he said, it dropped, and now it's back up. We got to ask ourselves, why is it, why, why is it picking back up? It's not just picking back up just because. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address council? Good evening. My name's Carol Bradford, and I live at 508 Sunny Lane in Urbana. I work for Rosecrans, which is located at 801 North Walnut in Champaign. Um, I am speaking tonight. I normally don't come out front. I'm the little worker bee in the back, in the background. Um, but I felt compelled um, to speak tonight. Um, Tracy kind of helped me. Um, but uh, I've been involved with the Fresh Start program since 2016 when um, what was formerly known as Prairie Center was approached um, by the city. Um, asking if we would be willing to um, supervise the case management piece. Um, I was the, the only person who agreed to do it. 
um, but I was glad to do it. And one of the reasons is because um, I have come from a background very similar to a lot of the young men that we're trying to reach. Um, I have family members that have served time in prison for murder. Um, in the last three months, I've lost two family members, one in Florida and one in Tennessee, to gun violence. One shot nine times. Um, the other one killed in front of his newborn infant. So this is near and dear to my heart. It's not a job. Um, my primary job is to supervise outpatient substance abuse treatment. So when I took on this gun deterrence program, it was because it was something that I felt was important. One of the things, I, I really just have three points I want to make tonight based on some of the comments I've heard. And like Tracy said, as part of the MDT, it gets heated sometimes. But I feel like for most of us, it's coming from a place of caring and wanting this to work and wanting to see it make a difference, not only in the community, but in the lives of the young men we're trying to reach. I have 19 and 26-year-old sons. I don't want them gunned down. So when I reach out to these young men, me and Miss Hattie, who is the um, person that provides the intensive case management services, is coming from a place of love, of care, of wanting to see them have better lives. So point number one is, to me, the CU Fresh Start program is still an infant. It's a toddler. The first year is finding your way. The second year, we really focused on research and data and trying to figure out what we've done right, what we've done wrong, things we wanted to do better. And this third year, we've really focused on our partnerships and collaborating with other agencies in the community, like Champaign County Regional Planning Commission's YARP program, um, like Parkland Community College, um, the MTD, um, to get bus tokens and bus passes, um, Salvation Army's Stepping Stones program. We've used that program a couple of times when we had guys come to us saying that they didn't have anywhere to sleep that night. Um, Hattie um, and the, her predecessor have both reached in their pockets um, and helped people out financially. Um, we have helped people get driver's license, um, ID, uh, social security card, birth certificate. All of these things we take for granted because we have parents or grandma or somebody who kept those things. But some of these young men, they have to get the foundational things first before they can even think about trying to get a job and keep a job. Um, and then you have barriers um, that prevent them from being able to make the steps they want to make. So a lot of the work that's done behind the scenes that not even some of the guys get to see are the phone calls and meetings that Hattie and I have, like the one we had a couple of weeks ago with administrative personnel from the U of I's um, human resources, trying to develop job opportunities for the guys we're working with. So did we have everything in place when we first started? No. Are we building coalitions and partnerships as we go along that's making CU Fresh Start a better program? Yes, we are. I was very excited when I got the phone call saying that the Champaign County Mental Health Board was going to fund us without us having to submit another grant um, for this year. And so not only are we funded through the end of this fiscal year, but we're also funded through next year. 
Um, and I think that speaks to the faith that they have in the work that we've been doing all along. So I just wanted to get up here and say thank you to Champaign County Mental Health Board. Thank you to the city of Champaign. We appreciate your support. Thank you. Anyone else wish to address the council? Please step forward. Good evening, council. Uh, my name is Marlon Mitchell. I'm from Champaign. Uh, I'm actually a founding director of, of uh, First Followers. So, again, Tracy had mentioned this in his presentation and this thing about uh, collaboration. Um, so, I'm always from the school that is going to have to take a team to do anything that's going to have to move mountains, such as this, this issue that we have with community gun violence. Uh, for too long, we have been working in silos. And I think I just wanted to talk a little bit about this, the, the structure of CU Fresh Start and with the MDT. Um, I know we have four, four pillars, but I've always been from the school of thought that everything has to be driven by the community. And some of the, the, the uh, lively conversations that go along in the MDT, there's a lot of passion, there's a lot of hope, and to be honest with it, there's a lot of care there. But when you have issues at the table where people are constantly jockeying for power, that's when what gets lost in the struggle is, or in that conversation is, young men like Marcel. Uh, too often we, you know, take the big eye, little you approach, but at, at First Followers, one of the things that we do, we treat people with common decency, because we all have a story, we've all had our challenges, we've all had our struggles, but at the same time, if I'm to help somebody, I have to listen to them with an open mind and a keen ear to listen to exactly what they're saying to me. And from there, only thing I can do is provide you with the resources and the support. Because we are into investing in people, not programs, not buildings, not any of that. We have to invest in our youth. You can gauge the, the, the wealth, I mean, not the, the health of a community by seeing how are the children. That's an old African proverb, how are the children? And that's because the children come first because that's going to be our, our future. Now, we understand that CU Fresh Start is in its infancy stage. It's only been three years. For the first two, two and a half years, I intentionally stood out on the peripheral to kind of see what was this going to morph into. So when I was tapped by Joan Wall and her staff, it was just my duty, I would be remiss, not to step in when I knew that a lot of these young men's lived experiences are my lived experience. I'm formerly incarcerated. I have a gun case. I've had a gun case, so I know what that looks like. But at the same time, it took for somebody to invest in me to turn me away from that environment that I was, I was, I was in at the time when I was 22, 23 years old. So when I look at Marcel and I look at other young men that look like me and that have been through similar situations, I wouldn't have ever gotten to the point that I am without somebody investing in me and bringing a different narrative and turning that all around because at the end of the day, a lot of these young men do not have anywhere to turn to. And when you talk about the engagement rate, if we're satisfied with 30%, that's not going to cut it. We all know, at least I know, and the people in my network knows, why that engagement rate is so low. Because historically speaking, we don't deal well with authoritative figures when it's law enforcement. 
And when I'm made to do something and I already don't have a relationship with that person, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to step forward. I might want the help, but one of the best things that Tracy team has done is revamping that call in. Because honestly speaking, before Champaign County even, well, the city of Champaign even brought this tier, the uh, CU Fresh Start model, I saw the model back in 2011, 2012. And the only thing that I can do was go back in my muscle memory and remember when I was on parole, what that meant for me to walk into the parole office month after month after month to be dehumanized. Although I'm trying to get back to school, I'm trying to find uh, employment, I'm trying to do all these different things, but I always have to check in to a point where it's like I have some sort of GPS system on me where I can't feel like I'm welcome. So inclusivity is key. Relationship building is key. Effective communication is key. But the most important piece is the resources. Now, we're living in a community right now where we just got $1.5 million with a YARP grant. We got $1.5 million from uh, the Youth Bill program. $50,000 did wonders for us in building internal capacity. If we spent that whole $50,000 on somebody like Marcel, I think that's a win. We need to invest in our youth. Thank you. Anyone else? <coughs> Good evening, Council. My name is uh, Carlos Harvey. I'm a longtime member of this community, born and raised here. Um, I've had my ups and downs in this community as well, just, just like some of these youth that's, uh, that we're talking about this evening. Um, uh, I was incarcerated for six years. I had to do three years of parole, so that's nine years of my life that I had to, I had to I owe to the state. But during that time, I was given an opportunity to sit back and look at the place where I was at. It was Department of Corrections. So it was a time and place where I was able to correct myself. Um, given that time, I was able to take college courses. Um, during that course, I was, uh, I was taking an investment course, and it was talking about um, what can you do for your community. And I remember when I was sentenced, you know, a judge told me I was a wolf in sheep's clothing. That hurt me to my heart. And that stayed on my mind the whole time I was, I was incarcerated. So I wanted to come back to my community and do what, what I could, the best I could for my community. And um, I'm a master barber. I've been cutting hair for 32 years. I've, uh, I come home and got my barber's license rest restored. Went further, kept going. Um, actually got my teacher's license. So now I'm, I'm, able to, I'm eligible to, um, to teach in the state of Illinois. So by me cutting in the barbershop, I'm uh, over at Rosen Taylor's Barbershop over at 124 North 1st Street. And it's a, it's a known, it's a known um, establishment over 50 years in this community. So you see a lot and you hear a lot. And, you, you know, you sit back and, you, and you, you hear about all these different shootings and things of that nature. And a lot of these young men that you, you know, you know, raising them up when they were shorties, I mean, you, you know them. So I thought, I was sitting back thinking, how can I help, you know, with, 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 with the, um, with my, and through my profession? But I mean, sitting on the subcommittee uh, with Fresh Start in the community uh, um, subcommittee part of it. I just want to, um, if given the opportunity, I think 
with this program given the opportunity, I think that we, we have good people in place that's actually trying to instill. And I would love if given the opportunity to teach some of these young men how to cut hair, to be, to be a barber, to be a hairstylist. Not only the young men, but the women too. Because they're out here as well. They need help as well. And bringing a trade and a skill to, to these young men and women, I think you will bring value back to their lives. Like you said, like Mr. Marcel said, that some of them don't, don't know where they're going to eat next. Given the opportunity that I can sit down and I can teach them, you know, life skills through barbering. I can teach them how to um, uh, invest in, 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 in people. And through the skill set, through the barbering skill, you're, you're, you're at the pay rate right now, the scale right now is anywhere from 15 to $25 a haircut. Given the opportunity, I can train them within 10, 10 to 12 months where they're making anywhere from 25 bucks an hour or if they're, if they're good enough, they can do two haircuts in an hour. That's 50 bucks an hour. Now you have no reason to go out here and sell drugs or to rob anybody or break in anybody's, anybody's home. So I just think with this, with, this, with this program, I think, you know, they have a lot of good pieces in place with the Rosecrans, helping with mental illness. You know, right now uh, I'm dealing with, I'm a life coach with, with boys to men. Um, it's going well, but I want to extend out to the, the, the 17 to 30-year-olds because they need help as well. And when you feel like you're lost out here, and I've been down that road before, you feel like you're lost out <laughs> here, you, you feel like you really pretty much have nothing else to lose. So I just want to be, a, be a, a help and bring value back to our youth. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, good evening. I'm James Kilgore, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for First Followers. So five years ago when we started First Followers, hmm, I would have never dreamed of uh, standing here like this, talking to the city council in sort of a positive voice. Um, you know, <laughs> as a as formerly incarcerated person and having fought in the, in the community to have the voices of formerly incarcerated people and, and critically impacted people be listened to in, in, in local government structures and in official structures. It's, it's been a battle, and I think that we can say we've made a, we've made a little bit of progress, and, that, and, that, and that's good. And we, so for our first followers to have connected up with the city of Champaign, in this partnership, as well as with the city of Urbana, the, the Champaign County Mental Health Board, the Housing Authority, this feels, this feels like something uh, that we can call progress. I'm never one to overstate progress and be overly optimistic, so I want to make sure we don't rest on our laurels, because I think there's a lot of things that need to be done. So I, I do want to, first of all, commend the, the move to, to rethink the uh, call-in, because when I think back to my own time of being in prison, I remember them bringing in these little bitty teenagers into prison and having, and them finding the biggest, you know, most swole men in the population sit there and yell and scream at these little, at these youngsters trying to terrify them out of ending up where they were. And Everybody, all of us that watched that said, this is never going to work. You're, never, you're, you're not going to scare people who trade on not being afraid 
into not doing what you don't want them to do. If anything, it's going to be it's going to flip the other way. So I'm, I'm really encouraged that we're, that, that we're moving away from that and we're trying to find ways to invest in people um, because the discomfort, as Marcel spoke, the discomfort that people already feel, the discomfort that formerly incarcerated people feel to come here and stand and say, I've been in prison, I've, you know, I've, done, I've been through all this, that's, that's, that's a lot of discomfort. We need to, we need to build the strength of, on, of, um, that comes from people's experience and blend that experience with the resources that we have in the, in the city and beyond. Secondly, I want, to, I want to make a point that gun violence is not about guns. As the woman that Karen interviewed there, what did she need? She needed a better environment. So a better environment is about resources. It's about changing the, the opportunities that are available to, to people, like what Marcel and like what Marlon said. We need resources. And I think we are at a moment here where we can use what the, what the city of Champaign, what the city of Urbana, what, what the uh, housing authority, what the mental health board is doing to begin to recognize reentry, to begin to recognize the, the challenges that are faced by youth that are touched by the criminal legal system and are about ready to go off the cliff for 20 or 30 years. Let's Let's find ways to bring the resources together. Let's find ways for local government structures not to remain siloed and not to say, it's not our job, it's their job. It's not our job, it's their job. But let's say, how do, we, how do these bodies come together and come up with a, a county-wide strategy to deal with a problem that affects everyone in the county? How do, how do, you, how do we coordinate and, and, build, the, and, and build the resources that, that are there but are not being fully tapped. We're scratching the surface of dealing with, of dealing with this issue. It's an, some important first steps, but we need to take a lot more. So I hope as, as a city council that has targeted reentry as one of your key projects, I hope you'll see that part of, the, part of that project involves building partnerships with other similar bodies that also have the resources to have an impact. And the last thing I just want to say is that I hope that we'll think a little bit more about restorative and transformative justice models as we move forward you know, in, in, in Fresh Start and in other, um, in other programs in the community in terms of how we deal with these issues. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? So Karen Sims with the Trauma and Resiliency Initiative. So typically I don't show up. Uh, so typically I don't show up in these kind of spaces, but I felt compelled because I've had the opportunity to work with Fresh Start um, since its inception. And before I kind of go in and talk about my own personal experience, I tend to not be in the front room, but I've been in the back providing support to um, partners, girlfriends, family members, and those kinds of things. And I will tell you from being in the back part of the experience with people who are part of the ancillary team, they too have found uh, the experience of the call-in to be disconnecting, um, to, to not be something inviting. And, and I, and I want to say a little bit about why. So I'm the trauma person, so I would be remiss if I didn't talk about why. And I'm actually going to recommend a resource for everyone to check out. So the Illinois Criminal Justice Authority put out a great resource guide looking at the narratives of men who've been incarcerated, looking at um, men in trauma. So I would love for you to look at that as a guide because statistically 
all the men that we're talking about serving and trying to support are men who statistically have been impacted by a variety of different traumas. And what you are experiencing around disengagement or shutdown um, or all of those things, if we were talking about vets, that would be typical signs and symptoms. And what we know from the research and science is about one in five, one in six um, men who've been involved with community violence or urban violence present with the signs of complex PTSD and trauma. Um, and if you want to get to under it, um, people have talked a little bit about their lived experience. I want you to know that their lived experience in terms of what was shared is supported by compelling research and science. Um, and so I wanted to say that. The second thing that I wanted to say, just again, having had the opportunity to work with and support um, partners and girlfriends and moms who've been a part of participants, um, maybe some of those folks who didn't even consent to following through with Fresh Start, is um, what James just finished saying. Um, people need villages of support. If we keep just thinking about the symptoms, if you see community violence as just a symptom of a community's um, disease, not not the cause, right? Like if we look at it that way, um, you'll realize, right, that people who are disconnected, um, who don't feel like they feel safe, I, I will carry a gun until the neighborhood feels safe for me not to carry a gun. And how do we go about reestablishing people's feelings of safetyness and connection and support? And so I talk about trauma 90% of the time, but increasingly we've been talking about resiliency and what makes communities resilient. And if you think about what makes communities resilient, it is people who collaborate together. It's addressing structural inequalities and equities. Um, it is making sure that there is positive recreation and play, not only for young people, but we do not talk about the resources and supports that exist for young adults. It is a vacuum out here. We just finished training yesterday, and we did some networking analysis, and there is nothing. If you are between 18 and 26, where are the opportunities to learn um, basic life skills or to get connected to other people who do parenting um, or to play with your family in natural, healthy ways? And so, again, I think we spend so much time talking about symptoms that we don't think about causes. And um, as James said, we could do better about building bridges and not just thinking about services. The last thing that I want to say um, having been intimately involved in the process is, you know, as a trauma-informed community, and we've been saying those words a lot, um, but we are hoping to get to the place where everybody who's in the network can realize what trauma is and how it shows up in all the various places, and we're definitely not there as a community. Uh, we don't have the resources to respond to the number of people who've been impacted by trauma because we're waiting way too long, and for folks with complex needs, we don't. Um, we are not, uh, we also need to make sure that what we do does not re-traumatize people, neighborhoods, and communities. And typically our knee-jerk responses are all about re-traumatizing. So I hope, you know, we will continue to nudge, fresh start, to engage in best practice, make sure that they're clear about how they do, because we can do, doesn't matter what program we bring in, if we don't do it correctly, and if we don't with we'll fidelity, if we're not culturally responsive, if it's not trauma-informed, it won't be effective. So... Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Anyone else? Good evening. Leanne Kelly, 1010 West Park Avenue. I wrote it up so I'd be under the timing. Um, she wasn't sure she was going to speak, so I wrote something because 
I'm her cheerleader. I've been volunteering with the Trauma Resilience Committee about five hours a week for the last, I'm into my fourth year now. And I appreciated that Fresh Start mentioned the importance of trauma-informed practice. So that interview you saw was just one piece of what See You Try, the Trauma Resilience Initiative, is doing. Yet I wanted to make sure that the council did not see See You Try as just another resource or program. Our vision is a resilient Champaign community where everyone has the support and access to resources to reach their potential. This means that a community as a whole fully embraces both the trauma-informed approach that enables healing, as well as the resiliency skill-building approach that instills the protective factors that enable all ages to successfully cope with trauma. Peace for Tarpon is the Tarpon Springs, Florida initiative whose tagline is trauma-informed, building resiliency. And this is how they describe this combination. Being a trauma-informed community means that Tarpon Spring has made a commitment to engage people from all sectors, education, juvenile justice, faith, housing, healthcare, business, in common goals, which is what you, one of the hallmarks of a collective impact model. The first is to understand how personal adversity affects the community's well-being. The second is to institute resilience-building practices so that people, organizations and systems no longer traumatize already traumatized people and instead contribute to building a healthy community. CU Try has already begun training organizations within our community. If our city seriously wants to reduce all forms of violence and create a community that thrives at all levels, I sincerely hope this council would lead our community in the systemic transformation that communities such as Philadelphia, Richmond, Virginia, and San Francisco have already begun. Now on a personal note, I'll tell you that one of the things that we've done in the last, this is the start of our third year, is a 40-hour training called Healing Solutions aimed primarily at community members so that they can become knowledgeable enough to be peer support within the community. Because it's not only, as you saw with KK, she wasn't the direct victim, but everybody in that neighborhood is impacted. So I had the privilege this time of doing it, um, all 40 hours, the last three out of four weekends. Um, we had seven or eight definitely from in the neighborhoods that are impacted. It was a privilege and it was also so humbling to hear their stories, to hear how they have impact, been impact, bleh, impacted. One person had, she was a female, 34 years of age, six incidences of gun violence where she was directly involved an uncle who was killed in front of her at age six, up to a, f a friend of her son's that she was going to pick up her son. When we talk about punitive measures, of which that's part of what they're saying with the call-in, or restorative measures, the most effective is restorative, just as 
everybody was saying, because when you treat the person with dignity, they know that you care about them because you sit and actively listen, then they're willing. They're willing to make those kinds of changes. And that's what we have to do as a community is make the changes in our systems and in the ways we collaborate in order to engender that. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Good evening. Uh, my name is Brian Serafin, and I am the police chief with the city of Urbana. Um, I would address you all maybe a little over a year ago as I was the interim chief. I'm now the permanent chief, and I've got a couple of thoughts on this. Um, I've been in this community for 26 years doing police work. Um, matter of fact, I think I said last time I was part of the original data collection team when we started this um, event. And I've been part of many, many investigations. CU Fresh Start has been around for the last three years um, as this response. And we've talked about the, uh, I think it was mentioned, the, the idea of the specific deterrent model and how that's, um, at least we believe it to be more effective. Um, one of the things that I've heard tonight again and again from different people is about what we need to do and what we need to change. Um, and I will tell you that as I've been a part of the multidisciplinary team, um, just for a little over, the, I guess, the last year, year and a half, I have seen it to be dynamic. I have seen it um, to be evolving. And I think they're trying to take some of this feedback and to change it and to, do, to make it better. But one of the things that it does do and does do very well this initiative, one I think is one of the biggest successes of Fresh Start, in addition to the coalition, is that we have, as Champaign-Urbana, changed the sort of the, the narrative about shooting violence. 26 years ago, we would not necessarily have had this exact discussion with all of these people at the same table. We would have a rash of shootings, and the media would call and ask us, what are you guys doing about it? What are the police doing about it? And what this initiative does is really bring different people with different perspectives to the table. People of all three pillars sit around that Fresh Start multidisciplinary team meeting every month, discussing, talking, and disagreeing. Um, and those are, those are good things as we try to see things from different perspectives. We, have a we as a community have realized that the solution to this is much deeper and broader than just what are the police doing. These meetings have pastors, police chiefs, social workers, and attorneys all communicating um, around the table. These partnerships are so critical to combating this problem because the police cannot do it alone. Social services can't do it alone, and the community can't do it alone. So tonight, I just wanted to thank you for listening for these couple of minutes, and I want to encourage you to continue to support this effort. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Vincent Andujo, uh, Workforce Development Supervisor for First Followers. Um, I just want to just come, just spend a little time before you, um, talking about uh, my daily work, and that is interaction with um, a few of the CU Fresh Start 
um, guys and um, also the Gomez Scholars of First Followers. And what I wanted to highlight was um, what we do daily is we not only um, are in a training setting for um, residential carpentry and remodeling homes, um, but we also get a chance to have dialogue daily. And in those sessions, I get a chance to um, hear the concerns and um, feel the, the heartfelt passion of the young men and um, what's going on in their lives, what's going on in the community from their perspective. Um, I, I, I feel their pain, their, 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 their triumphs, um, some of their um, uh, you know, high points as well as low points daily. Uh, but what I'm so grateful for is to be able to have that type of situation. Um, I think uh, Marcel said before that some of them are, uh, young men um, don't know where to turn or, or, or don't know how and who to talk to or um, who, who to reach out to and any of those things. But it's just um, at that point, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm more or less their father, you know, at that moment. Um, um, but also um, relating to what it is that they're going through from um, if they're 18 to 24, I was 18 to 24 at once upon a time in my life as well. Um, what I'm getting at is to say if I can um, engage in five to ten young men every day um, and, and, and then watch the progress, watch the, 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 um, them growing uh, into a space that when um, a shooting occurs in in Champaign or Banner, they come the next morning. I can see it on their face that they're concerned. I can see it. I, I hear it in their voices that they're that, that they're heartbroken and, and they're lamenting to me about um, what's going on. What what can we do? Um, th- these are some of the same ones that um, we're looking at for a call in or or those who have um, um, been been char- gotten gun charges themselves. Or whatever street um, they've, they've occurred in the streets, or things that uh, charges that have brought up against them uh, by way of being in the streets. But now they're uh, in, interacting daily uh, to try and um, hash out solutions. Um, and, I mean, really um, engaging, and, and sometimes have this just stop work. I know uh, Marlon is probably frowning about that right now, but we try to be as productive as we can. But sometimes we just have to stop and say. All right, let's let's talk about this. Let's get it off. Um, what I'm getting at is that if I can reach five to ten, if we can get more um, situations like this, uh, because like Marcel said, there's a deficit with um, guidance and um, those who are lacking um, father figures or male figures in their lives. Um, so I see I, I come in and see you fresh start for what they're doing, uh, uh, boys to men. Um, girls to women uh, and and other organizations that are trying to just dig deep into the community to the youngsters and have that sort of engagement dialogue daily uh, because there are some things that are going on not around these young people but they need uh, to have some avenue or some a soft pillow to land on somewhere to get it off of them um, and so this is um, again I thank all the organizations that are, are doing this I thank you for the uh, city council for um, entertaining um, or even looking into gun violence uh, in such a manner that we're able to just, um, you know, put our minds together as a community to come together with some solutions. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address council?
Seeing none, council comment? Down this way, council member Kyles. First and foremost, uh, I'd like to thank the council staff, the community, um, for the, the evolution of this program. We've talked about some things that I've heard tonight as far as the, the call-ins and, and, and resources and partnerships that we didn't necessarily talk about in the beginning. And so the realities that you all continue to, to listen to your audience, to our audience and the people that we're trying to reach um, is a major, major um, thing. I've been in communities where they've had programs um, and they haven't been successful because the right people aren't at the table leading and guiding those programs. And I believe you all are the right people. Um, and really, that's, that's, a, that's a reality. Uh, Marcel, probably um, out of all the time I've known you, we probably never had many conversations. I've seen you around the way, maybe at Douglas Court. Um, but the converse, your comments tonight were probably the most impactful to me um, because you told the truth of how to, to deal with the issue. When you talk about, um, you know, a lot of, it's no mistake, a lot of times we're talking about African and black male, African American males. And a lot of times we've, we're seen as this, um, a spectacle, like unreachable. Um, maybe t sometimes amongst ourselves and sometimes amongst um, the cultures around us. And the reality is this could be farthest from the truth. If a individual wanted to understand a black male, all one would have to do was look within their families and realize that as the human experience, you got white people who have problems, Hispanics have problems, Asians, they got problems. And you look at the problems and how they're dealt with and you're like, well, what? I can understand those individuals. So I just want to let you know that that resources, 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 I think, uh, Council Member Bricks, you asked a, a very important question. And I think that it really is about resources, uh, being able to not only continue to support this initiative, but resources like we talked about the Garden Hill Lights, resources as we talked about roads, resources as we talk about community businesses, resources, resources, resources. Mayor, one of the most impactful um, things that happened, I don't even know if you know I was supposed to tell you about it, but I guess I'll tell you publicly, you hear it, is when you, you, you text me and say, hey, uh, let's go to this ribbon cutting. And I said, all right, you know, I've gone to a few ribbon cuttings before. Um, all right, you know, put your suit on, you, you know, cut the ribbon and that's it. But afterwards, the purpose was to engage people that didn't look like me particularly, and you, uh, from that standpoint, and say, hey, what about a grocery store or some type of, of uh, on the north end of town, something that restores pride and respect? Because when you go to a grocery store and all you have is, you, you don't have the products that, when you go to another side of town, um, it does affect your image. When you go to a grocery store and the lights aren't on, and, and half lit and things are being sold that shouldn't be sold, but you go into a different community and it doesn't look like that, 
that does influence and all of those things kind of directly impact how people engage in their lives and, and what they decide to do. Unfortunately, some people do decide to engage in gun violence. I think um, it's a lot of things I, I guess I could say, but the, the, uh, the most impactful thing that I probably could be blessed to say is that, uh, you know, when you want to reach uh, African-American males, society as a whole has to be comfortable with strong black males. And society is not comfortable with strong black males. And we don't beat to the same drum. So sometimes we get engaged and we get involved, but sometimes we may seem aloof. But it's not because we're trying to be disrespectful or anything. It's just this is who we are. And because society as a whole isn't comfortable at times with strong black males, then those kids and those youth that are picking up those, that, that are looking for strong black males in our community to continue to, to, to have a presence, they go and assimilate and what they believe is strength. And I think that um, that if we could, un I don't have enough time, I see the clock is running down to talk about that. But the reality is, um, you know, when I look at Marlon, when I look at Marcel, when I look at, uh, I don't want to call people out, but when I look at uh, uh, Chief Cobb, Tracy Parsons, when I look, and, and no disrespect to, to women, I'm just saying, when you're talking about males, we, we, and you don't get to see those images as a regular basis, what do you expect is going to happen? You know, I mean, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy if you really ask me. But, you know, that's, that's that. As far as the program, I mean, you all are doing a, a wonderful job. Um, of course, we're going to continue to tweak the process. Of course, we're going to continue to find resources. And I know that those needs will be brought to city council. And we'll even engage and ask some questions like, what type of resources do you need? Um, but if we really want to continue, I mean, you just got to keep, we have to, as a community, continue to plug away at it. Um, but we do have to, we really do um, have to at least acknowledge how society deals with some of the things that happen outside of this council you know, the fact that people can't get jobs, the fact that when you go to a construction site, you don't see a lot of black folks. When you talk about high-paying positions where people can invest back into the community and you, don't, you just can't get that outside of a city council initiative, we know how government has to go through its phases before things happen. And we don't acknowledge those things. And can, if we and don't deal with those aggressively, it really is kind of hard to, to, to deal with the, the issue from a holistic standpoint. Councilmember Sock. Thank you for your presentation. Oh, Chief Cobb, can I ask you a real quick technical question because this gets asked to me a lot. I know the answer, but I just want to hear you say uh, for our viewing public. Um, is this uptick in gun violence, is this a unique to Champaign-Urbana situation or other communities having the same kinds of issues? It is not unique to Champaign-Urbana. Uh, as stated earlier, uh, we see these issues going across our state and even across our country. 
uh, gun violence is a problem uh, that multiple communities are trying to address. Thanks. I knew the answer. I just wanted other people to hear. Um, thank you all for your comments. They were they were really helpful. Um, I kind of walked in here tonight a little mm, less optimistic than I am right now. I'll put it that way because I was looking at the numbers. You know, and, and when you're looking at 30% have done the call-ins and that kind of thing, I was a little, mm, you know. But as I thought about it and listened to your presentation, my mind is really turned around from where I was two hours ago um, in terms of just much more much more optimistic, I really like the custom notification and the referral piece. I think that's huge. You know, 27 years of 16-year-olds has taught me public shaming is not really the way to go. And I, when I've gone to the call-ins, it's felt a lot like public shaming. You know, I've been to one, and it, I mean, it, there was some effectiveness to it. I get the, I get it. But at the same point, it also felt like people were kind of being up there on blast in front of people that they don't know, that don't live the lives they've led, that don't have the issues that they have to deal with. So I think that the the custom notification piece and maybe some more one-on-one, -on -one, I think that's a really positive step in the right direction. Um, when I was saying, when I was asking about other programs and what other places are doing, it wasn't to dismantle. I could tell who, who had never taught before because teachers steal ideas from other places all the time. So it was really more about are there other places doing things that we can steal, basically, and, and incorporate into what we're doing. So that it wasn't to dismantle this. It was just what can we do to enhance it from other places. Um, I still... Like, and I was told a couple years ago that it's not a work program, which I totally get, but, um, but I still like, I like the idea that we're trying to keep doing more workforce and job training stuff because that's, that's really going to be the key. If you're going to, you've still got to feed your family. You know, if we want to get people from doing illegal things, we've got to give them legal things that makes them be able to pay rent, to be able to feed their family and, you know, all those kinds of things. So I, I really like us to keep doing that in the mental health services, but I think, uh, like I said, I'm really encouraged tonight about the direction we're going and some of the things we're doing. So thank you for your hard work because I know it is hard work. Councilmember Beck. Thanks. Um, so when I started my term on council, I have to say that I was um, not enthusiastic about CU Fresh Start. I didn't like the methodology that it was uh, using. I didn't think that it spoke um, to the root problems that we were having in our community. But as the years have gone by, I think that the CU Fresh Start program has been much more responsive and continues to be much more responsive to the comments of the community, comments from council, and is starting to address the very needs of the community in order to address violence issues. So I think that, that we've made great strides. So congratulations on that. And congratulations to, on, to the MDT, because I know that there are varying opinions about that. And to be able to come together and be able to find a path that will respect that voice from the community, I think is an important piece. And so I hope that work continues. And I'm, I was glad to see a few changes that have occurred. Um, like others that have, uh, have talked about, I'm glad to see that the call-in is changing format. Um, I always felt uncomfortable about the call-in format. Um, there's a difference between shame and guilt. Uh, when people walk in, they know they've been guilty of a crime. They know that they've been guilty of certain behaviors. But shame makes people feel like they are unworthy 
of belonging or they are unworthy of being a part of a community. And certainly that is the antithesis of what we're trying to achieve in a Colin. We want to make people feel like they can be and that they are part of our community and that they bear responsibility in that, but they also are welcomed into the community. We want them to be part of being a productive citizen, being a part of what we are achieving as a community. Um, and in order to do that, we can't start with shame because we won't provide that welcoming atmosphere that people need in order to make the real changes that are necessary. Um, the 18 to 24-year-old needs, I think, continue to be a big issue that, not, that CU Fresh Start isn't going to necessarily be able to address. And I'm hoping that we can continue to address some of those needs as council, because I think that we are talking about some programs and th some things that will continue to address those. Um, and we have talked about those in our goal setting um, uh, as, as a larger council, our goal setting that we've uh, had over the, the last year. And I'm hoping that some of the things that we've done in that arena can start to address the, that, um, that age group because I think that that's a really big gap in our community. Um, and we don't, we don't have the resources in place to address the 18 to 26-year-old um, needs. And so, um, you know, when, when we're talking about education, but also beyond that, just the healing of trauma, um, we, we, we don't have the resources and we need to make room for those. Um, one of the things that I'm hoping that we can do also is I, I also want to say that I'm really glad that the relationship with Rosecrans is going well. Mental health services is imperative in this process. It is, it is, it is just, I mean, I can't, overstate the importance of mental health services in um, moving people forward uh, from, from violence. Um, and I'm hoping that one, as we continue to look at our staffing on our police force, because um, I know that we're going through that process right now, I'm hoping that we can continue to think about what it is that we're going to provide um, the community to address trauma. I'd like for us to continue to think about forensic social work and how we can incorporate that service into our policing because I think that that is an important component that, we, um, that we're missing. I think that that piece is really important to bridge the gap for um, victims of violence and victims of crime, but also people who are perpetrators of crime. Um, because they are also victims themselves. So we need to make that, we need to bridge that gap. We need to make that, um, we, we need to make that available to people in our community. And that piece, I think, will help in the long run to reduce the amount of violence that's in our community because we'll be working with um, the entire, for the entire solution. Um, so I think that those are a couple things I think we can do outside of CU First Start. Um, and I think that those will help to enhance what, what we're trying to achieve through this. Um, again, I, I'm glad to see that, uh, you know, the, the emphasis has been on continuing to build resources. Um, the relationship with first followers, I think, is gold. Um, and we, we, can't take ownership, we can't take ownership for that. First followers has been amazing in what they've done to develop that in our community, and we, uh, I know I'm eternally thankful for that, 
and I hope everyone else is too, but what we can do is continue to provide the actual monetary resources that need to happen to fuel those things because they can't be done without money. We can't ask people to do the hard work, and I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it. We can't ask people in our community to do the hard work that we're asking people to do without the dollars to back it. We just can't. And oftentimes, and I've said this before, we ask communities of color to do the hard work with no resources. And uh, it's easy for me to sit on the sidelines and say what needs to be done, but I have to back it up with dollars. And that's what I can do. I know that's what I can do. So, um, so I, I'm continuing to be dedicated to looking at the resources that we can provide. And I know that's something that we're going to have to be addressing in uh, our ne next budgetary cycle. So thanks for your presentation tonight. And um, I look forward to seeing the good changes that are occurring. And, um, and uh, I look forward to um, next year's presentation. Councilmember Briggs. I want to thank you for your presentation, and I sincerely appreciate everybody coming here tonight and for sharing your perspectives and your different focuses and the work that you're all doing. And I think it's super important, and I think, I don't know if this is as a result of Fresh Start, but the um, community coalition and the work that everybody is doing in terms of coming together and putting egos aside, um, as was mentioned earlier, to really try to find solutions and, and try to find good responses is important. And I really, um, I've had the opportunity to see that in the neighborhood safety forums. And I had an opportunity to go to one and just, just watching the interactions, a lot of the people, some of them knew each other, some of them don't know each other, and I think it's building all sorts of community, bringing people together and organizations together, but also bringing neighbors together so that they know they're not alone, that they know where the supports are and where the resources are, and they can express what they're going through and find ways to support each other and to find ways to help, help find solutions. And so that's been really, really impactful for me to see, and it's been really, really inspiring, um, particularly from a lot of the violence that, that this particular neighborhood has seen. And so um, thank you so much for your work on that. And, you know, I had had some hesitations with CU Fresh Start. When you first come in, when you first learn about it, it doesn't really make, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And then um, I read the book, and I went to a call-in, and that call, the call-in is extremely intense. And I can't imagine um, a potential participant, what they go through when they're sitting up there, because it's intense for the people that are sitting there watching it, and I can't imagine if it's directed at you. And so I think the points that you're, you're bringing up about doing more one-on-one -on -one and not in such a public forum is really important, and so I'm really glad that you're taking a look at that. Um, you know, and I, I just encourage you to keep um, looking at the small faceted approach. There's not a one-stop shop approach to this. And, um, you know, I'm just appreciative of the partnerships and the collaborations and the communications that are coming out of this. So thank you so much for your efforts. Councilmember Gladney. Thank you. Before my comments, I just a quick question. 
I think I know the answer to, but so these 86 call-in participants, how many, what's the male-female split for that? 100% male. Okay, thank you. Uh, so I appreciate your presentation tonight. I appreciate all the work that you do and that um, the community partners do for this and, and, and the community members. Um, so CU Fresh Start is something that I'm, I'm actually pretty impressed with um, overall. And one of the things I'm impressed by is the flexibility of it and the evolution of it. It's not been a stagnant endeavor. Um, it has moved and adapted um, through the years with feedback and looking at what's been working, what's not been working, and what could work that maybe hasn't been tried yet. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate everyone who came tonight and spoke. Um, I think Councilmember Kyle's mentioned the word impactful earlier, and I feel like a lot of public comment tonight uh, was very impactful. Um, I want to talk about the call-in real quick. I know it's been talked about quite a bit, and I know it's going to be changed. But I, I went to one, and it was... I'm trying to think of a good word. It was exhausting, and I was just sitting there, not as a participant, I was just sitting in the back just watching it. And I felt a little guilty for thinking that. I kind of almost felt guilty for being there because um, I, I did, I, I, on the one hand, I felt it was good to see it. But on the other hand, it felt like something I almost was an intruder on to, to be viewing. Because um, it was, the approach is very harsh. And I know there's many in the community that would probably nod their heads and be like, darn right, it should be harsh. This is a serious issue. People are dying. People are being injured. And I get that. But sometimes the way you take something seriously is um, not, to, not to be harsh. It's to sometimes come with a, maybe a more soft approach. Um, and that doesn't always work. But that's the thing about the call-in that I think made me feel a little... I, I left it, and I, and I wasn't sure what I thought of it. And I felt a little uncomfortable, but I wasn't quite sure why. But I think one of the reasons is it's a one-size-fits-all approach. And that doesn't always work. And I asked that question about the participation uh, participants, and I, and I pretty much knew they were all men. And um, in our society, and particularly in certain segments of our society, what it, how men are treated and what it means to be a man is, in my opinion, a little skewed. It's very heavy on on sometimes uh, just shows of strength and toughness. And not that those are necessarily bad things, but I feel like sometimes men are not allowed to be vulnerable and they're not allowed to be sensitive and they're not taught what those things are. And they're not taught how to be that way in a positive and a productive manner and how to have empathy. Sometimes that's not allowed for certain men. And it's damaging. It's not only damaging to them as individuals, but it becomes damaging to um, other men, to women, to society as a whole. And so with that in mind, you know, basically having a call-in session where you continue to be, um, you, can, you continue to hit these men with toughness and, 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 and you know, the words are failing me tonight, but... but to me, it was nothing new. It presented nothing new that 
those folks probably hadn't already been subjected to um, throughout their lives. So it's not that you don't take that situation seriously, but it's like maybe you try a different approach to, to correct the situation. And um, so I'll move on from that. I really like the, what was in our packet about the workforce and job training partnerships. I think it talks about in the coming year, we're going to focus on that a lot more, and I think that's really good. I think employment is, is critical. I also think, you know, uh, I think it was talked about earlier tonight too, but, you know, the, the sort of atmosphere that people live in, the community, the feeling that they belong, feeling that they can be proud of their neighborhood. Um, and, you know, I think, I think it's Councilmember Kyle's earlier talked about, you know, it's having a grocery store in your neighborhood, something that, and it's something that is, that is um, nice, you know. Um, all those factor in to somebody's sense of well-being and to somebody's sense of their place in the world that is a positive um, rather than a negative. So keep doing what you're doing, which includes the fact that you seem to be adapting to, to the ever-changing needs of, of what's required. Also, real quick add that the trend line, which you know, we talked about earlier, showed a dip in gun violence and then an increase. On the surface, to me, is troubling, and I don't like to see that um, at all. However, I think that the success of this program is going to be long-term. I don't think it's going to be immediate. Uh, in fact, I think if it's doing what it's going to do well, um, it might be frustrating in how long it's going to take to do its job. And I know that that is not any comfort whatsoever to, to folks who have been impacted by gun violence, whether through injury or through death, obviously, or through being family members or friends of those who have been directly impacted. That's, it's, saying this is going to take a while is of no comfort to them. But um, I do think it's just, just looking at the reality of the situation. Um, it's not going to be immediate, and it's not going to turn around uh, fast, unfortunately. But uh, thank you for what you're doing. Councilmember Moreno. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm glad that we are reexamining uh, the approach to the program and that we uh, uh, are considering all angles. I would make a couple of observations. You know, in the DUI field, um, the... Uh, there is this concept of victim impact panels. And everybody who gets a DUI in Champaign County, probably in most of Illinois, you must attend the victim impact panel. You have to go there, be a part of the audience. You have to hear told to you the impact your actions have had on other people. Uh, <clears throat> people who are impacted by DUIs tell their stories. Um, Maybe that's a really flawed approach. I don't know. But, there, but it's, not, uh, it's not something that I don't think reasonable people can disagree on about whether or not some being made to say, look what you've done to me. Look at the loss that's occurred in my family because of gun violence. Don't be a part of that. It hurt me. It hurt my family. It caused a loss in my family. That's not a far-fetched concept. 
And I'm glad that we at least recognize that there are multiple viewpoints on this and ours can evolve. But it's interesting for me to hear all of my colleagues now all saying, you know, I always knew this was a stupid idea. The way you've been approaching it for the last three years is so clearly was wrong. Um, why did we do it this way? You know, if, it, if it's now we can say, man, who ever had the idea that you ought to do this in public? It was so uh, obvious. Yeah, I don't think it was an unreasonable concept that maybe you be made to come down and face your peers, your family, your neighbors, the people that you want to have uh, respect you, and you're confronted with the harm that your actions uh, have caused or may cause to the community. So I'm, um, I'm not gonna be critical of how we have done it in the past. I don't know that it necessarily was all that misguided. There are lots of models in the world around us for having people um, be called upon to take it to task for their actions. But I'm also supportive of, you know, it hasn't been working. That's why I asked the questions I asked. Have you found that it's backfired? Have you found that that didn't work? And I'm glad you gave me the answers that you did that yeah, you know, that wasn't working out so good, so we're gonna try a different approach. I'm fully supportive of trying a different approach if you've had the empirical data that the way we were approaching it wasn't all that effective, and it turns out it was more harmful than good. But I don't think it was unreasonable to think that there may have been some good to uh, being made to answer in a public forum to the harm that your actions are causing your fellow man. You know, this is hard and uncomfortable work, and the people that are sitting in front of me have been doing it with, with grace and a lot of caring. Um, <clears throat> there's also a whole group back there um, and over here that have been doing the same thing, and, and um, I am appreciative of all of you and the roles that you have played. I, I didn't read this, nor did I hear from... Our, our panel tonight that we're just gonna throw everything out. What I heard was maybe we're gonna change the tone, we're gonna be mindful of um, and respectful and caring, but I, I guess I still expect there to be some discussion of the impact that the behavior has on our community. And I keep looking over here because I'm looking at Pastor Parks who has participated in almost all of the call-ins that I've been in, and he has been clear that the behavior is unacceptable, that it puts people at risk, and he's also clear that these young men who look like him are people he cares about, and he wants to help make whole and to um, help, you know, be part of our community. So... I guess what I'm hearing, and maybe wrongly, is that we want more of that. Um, it's not that, that we don't have expectations of accountability, but that we can care about people at the same time. Um, and I also recognize that the MDT is a large group of people with varying opinions, and we're all working together. So... 
any incremental change. We're not going to, you know, the next call-in is not going to be so dramatically different that we don't recognize it, would be my guess, because we're working with a large group of people, and we've, we've got to incrementally get there. Um, and for the for the law enforcement piece, and I don't want to speak for chief or anyone else, but I mean, the prosecutors need to say, I will prosecute you, or I have prosecuted these people. That doesn't mean they can't be respectful and say that they care about people um, who are in front of them. But the whole point of them being part of the call-in is to say, I have a role to play in all of this. Um, so, so I guess I trust the team that has been working like crazy on this for the years that we've been doing it. Um, I appreciate that you're in front of us saying, hey, it's time to tweak it and look at it. Um, and if you tell me we're totally changing it, that's, that's okay too. Um, but I think it's really about the respect and caring and tone. Um, and I'm supportive of you know, re-examining those things. Um, I also think it's important, and you guys made this point, to recognize Fresh Start as a part of a larger whole. Um, it, we, um, we are trying on a lot of different fronts to um, get at the core issues. So Fresh Start is a way to um, work with, at this point, young men who are in the legal system and impacted by gun violence or impacting people with gun violence. We have goal-getters. We have com the Community Coalition. We're about to launch a children and family program. I think what is heartening about all of this is we're not saying there's one solution to everything or one size fits all for everyone, but we're recognizing that as a community, we have got to dive in and do more. We have got to um, help make change for people in our community and offer them an, better opportunities. And I'm really excited that I'm part of a council and a staff that is working hard to do that. So as I think Councilmember Gladney said, we may never know. You know, you can't prove the negative. We'll never know that the person who engaged in our program um, didn't pick up the gun. We'll just know that, you know, maybe there's a little less gun violence in the community. Um, and I do think, um, and Karen said it, we are, we're infants or toddlers. I mean, it will be years before we know the true impact of all of this. But I appreciate the, the hard and uncomfortable work that everybody's doing and the partnerships that we have with the community. Um, and I look forward to continuing those. So with that, um, our alternative is provide feedback, which I think we did, and direct staff to continue working with the MDT to implement the initiative. Council Member Bricks? Yes. 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 And yes, you have direction. Thank you. So with that, we're at the point of our meeting for audience participation on any topic. Um, if anyone wishes to address the council, please step forward, state your name and city of residence, and limit your comments to five minutes or less.
Seeing none, any council comment? Deputy City Manager, you need a motion to adjourn. Madam Mayor, I move that we adjourn. Second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Aye.